when we turn that first corner fire on the right we look up 20 yards fire on the left it just was everywhere already and our i believe our superintendent's truck caught fire assistant superintendent's truck caught fire in our in the ponderosa parking lot you're listening to an american red cross in greater new york podcast hello everyone this is Michael DeVolpeter, Communications Officer for the American Red Cross in Greater New York. Imagine arriving at work one morning greeted by the sight of smoke and embers falling from the sky. Now imagine that situation deteriorating very quickly, forcing your entire workplace and your entire town to evacuate. Imagine riding in your vehicle stuck in traffic and seeing nothing but fire all around you. And finally imagine a six-hour drive to safety, knowing that your home is probably destroyed. How would you react confronted with such a situation? What would you do? Well, these terrifying circumstances were very real for the people of Paradise, California. On November 8th of last year, residents of this tight-knit town were forced to flee what would become the deadliest and most destructive wildfire in the state's history. The campfire, as it's called, because it originated on Camp Creek Road, was ignited by a faulty electrical transmission line and fanned by extremely dry conditions and high winds. The campfire covered an area of approximately 153,000 acres, took more than 80 lives, and destroyed nearly 19,000 structures. Just about the entire town of Paradise was destroyed in a matter of hours. So for this next episode of the podcast, we'll be listening to excerpts from my conversation with Abby Gersbacher Davis and Mary Ludwig. These are both two teachers from Paradise who experienced these awful, unthinkable events. So neither of them are from New York, but they're both honorary New Yorkers. That's because they were just recognized a few weeks ago by the American Red Cross in Greater New York at our annual Heroes Among Us Gala. On November 8th, Mary, Abby, driven by their bus driver, Kevin McKay, who was also recognized by the American Red Cross, they helped evacuate a group of 22 young students from Ponderosa Elementary School in Paradise where they worked and accompanied them on a long and terrifying ride to safety. For these heroic acts, Abby, Mary, and Kevin were honored by the American Red Cross. This conversation is very personal to me as I traveled to Northern California last November to support the American Red Cross response to these events. And I arrived about 36 hours after the fire destroyed the town. And maybe it was the violence and speed of the fire or the shock and fear that was so palpable in everybody that I met. But there was something uniquely different about this disaster. So Abby, what exactly is your connection to this community? Can you talk a little bit about that? I was born and raised in Paradise. Um, after high school, I moved to Chico and went to college to become a teacher. Um, I met my fiance, who actually was born and raised in Paradise as well. Um, but we met in Chico and we bought a house about three years ago, um, came back to Paradise. And you, Mary, what is your connection to Paradise? I was born and raised here. I lived here many, many years. And um, I worked at the grocery store. I put myself through college. And then I've been teaching in Paradise my entire career. Why exactly did you decide to become a teacher? Do you know? I wanted to become a teacher because of the teachers that I had uh, when I was growing up. Um, school brought a lot of structure to my life. And um, it just, it helped me through my childhood, not just the learning aspect, but the social emotional as well. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to be like my teachers when I grew up. 
So how long have you been a teacher? I've worked for Paradise Unified School District for over 25 years, but I've spent the last, um, gosh, 12, 13 years at Ponderosa. So what do you both like most about teaching? My favorite part about teaching kindergarten is the, oh gosh, there's so many things. Kids are so curious. Um, they just have such a love for life and they grow so much in kindergarten. I mean, seeing them come in with what they have already learned at home and then seeing how, you know, how much they learn at the end of the year is just, um, it's a, it's a special feeling as a teacher. You know, my favorite thing about being a teacher is, um, letting a child know that I see them for who they are. And I, I love to kind of help them find their gifts and develop their gifts, but then at the same time, help them strengthen the things that they need to strengthen. So, um, I'm kind of a silly teacher. I'm strict, but silly. Now I want to move the conversation to November 8th. Um, could you both walk us through that morning? Um, did you sense anything unusual early on? But I woke up, I listened to the news as I get ready and there was nothing on the news. And I headed out to my car and I was on time. And as I got in my car, I realized my chest hurt so bad. So my body was telling me there's something wrong and my eyes were burning so bad that I actually was struggling to drive. So I pulled back into my driveway and I went and got a handkerchief. When I got to school, I immediately knew something was really wrong when, you know, students who were dropped off at the same time started running in from the playground because there were massive um, pieces of wood and pine cones falling on fire. I didn't know that anything was different until I got to uh, Billy Road, which was about five miles from my house. Um, and, and as I drove down the hill, I saw uh, a yellow plume of smoke. And, and like, you know, we say we're used to wildfires up here. Um, usually you don't see that yellow. And that was that was the sign that it was pretty close. And from that moment on, it just it escalated very quickly. Mm -hmm. I uh, went from orange to the, the smoke cloud was right over our school. Um, there were pieces of ember. I remember grabbing my kids from the cafeteria. They weren't able to go outside that day because of the quality of the air. Um, I grabbed my kids and walked them to the classroom. And I remember what, it was a very short line that day. A lot of kids didn't come to school. But then parents, I had probably 10 kids. Parents were running into the classroom and I think this, there was one parent who came in and she, she was just to see her face. That's when I really knew it's really, really, really bad. She goes, she said, Mrs. Lovick, please get these kids out of here now. So what did you do next? So we got an all call to take the kids up to the cafeteria. And, um, so I was just so busy trying to get them. We, I didn't even think to grab water or anything. We just hurried them up there. And um, that's when I saw Kevin's bus with my girlfriend texting me about getting my son out of the house with, with the all call to the cafeteria. And then with the parents running in and some of them so distraught saying, get these kids out of here. I, I knew and looking at the sky, 
it didn't it didn't look like flames it looked like orange tornado swirls and i really knew i booked them out of the classroom as fast as i could and i knew that we had to get the kids on the bus and away from that canyon as fast as possible kevin was your bus driver when exactly did you meet him in all this chaos I've worked for Paradise for many, many years, and I knew all my bus drivers, and I said, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm Kevin. <laughs> Three months on the job, and, I, he's, and he told me he needed me, and I said, well, I'm, I'm not leaving, but you better be good. Because <laughs> you could see it was just going to be, it was going to be, you knew it was going to be a scary ride, and so um, I remember standing on that foot of the bus, and I just asked if somebody would come with me and Abby immediately stepped out and climbed aboard. So I loaded uh, three of my students onto the bus um, and Mary was sitting in the front seat and she leaned over and asked if I would join her on the bus. And I honestly don't remember making the decision to get on. I just, I was on. You know, you look and you see all those little heads and I'm like, the kids need me. Right. <laughs> you know, I knew the kids needed me and, um, and there were a lot of kids. 22 is a lot of kids, K-5. So I remember one of my, one of my three students started crying instantly when I put her on the bus and it didn't feel right from the beginning. And I remember her hearing her cry and thinking, I, yeah, I can't, can't leave these kids without their parents. As you all began this evacuation, can you tell us a little bit about what was around you, what you were seeing? When we turned that first corner, fire on the right. We looked up 20 yards, fire on the left. It just was everywhere already. And our, I believe our superintendent's truck caught fire, assistant superintendent's truck caught fire in, our, in the Ponderosa parking lot. The kids instantly, you know, were, were terrified. Um, so our first thought was, look the other way, you know, we're, we're going somewhere safe. And so in the beginning, well, throughout the entire day, but really in the beginning, it was constant reassurance of we are headed somewhere safe. How are you dealing with your emotions? It's just that ultimate responsibility mm -hmm. of caring for kids. I mean, having a job like that and in, in a crisis like that, it really helps you channel, focus your, your attention um, on what's really important. And uh, you don't have time to think about all of those emotions that you might be feeling. Because some of the kids, we really had to soothe. They were really scared in that first leg. And, you know, I sometimes my auditory memory and my visual memory separate a little bit. And on this stretch, my auditory memory was so strong because there was a lots of cries for mommy and daddy. And that was, and we, we had to just like, you know, keep ourselves, you know, from being emotional. Can you talk a little bit more about how the kids were through all this? Abby and I just kept getting asked the same question over and over again, which was, you know, some of us remembered our names. Some of the kids would just say, teacher, teacher, what time is it? Is it midnight? And it was nine. Um, and so they just they were so disoriented as to what time it was, but it was that black, it was that dark. So some kids would turn and look out the window 
and other kids would hide from it and this one little little thing just wedged herself under the seat so those are the things we were doing just trying to you know um make them feel hopeful feel feel safe in the moment every child was different at different times on the bus so sometimes you know kids were even laughing and having fun playing with whatever they had in their backpack and talking with each other and then other kids you know were in tears because they they were thinking about their cat that was outside when they left home. Um, they didn't know where their family was. Um, so just trying to distract them or reassure them that, you know, your, your family, your parents are really smart and they're, they're doing their very best right now and they know they're safe. So what about Kevin? How was he dealing with all this? I had no idea that Kevin was a brand new bus driver. I don't think I learned that until, I mean, after the fire. Um, I, there was just something instantly that I could feel from him that I, I felt I trusted him. Uh, he just, there were multiple times, you know, I'd look up and they have that rear view mirror that's rather large. And, you know, I, I just, I could see that he was constantly 10 steps ahead of himself mm -hmm. trying to think of what was next. Um, but also in the moment at the same time. So uh, I don't know how he juggled all of those things, but he did a fantastic job. The kids felt safe. He was very calm the entire time, too. Well, he just had a an amazing and strong sense of leadership. I think he put me completely at ease um, when we turned the first corner. He was always thinking about the safety of the kids. Um, every action I saw him... Um, take was one that was going to be the best for the safety of the kids on that bus. Um, at one point we were supposed to evacuate to a school. And I believe even before that got rerouted, he said, there's no way we got to get these kids out of paradise. For me, I personally found him, uh, very calming, soothing. I think, um, his strength allowed me to be strong. Abby's strength allowed me to be strong. Abby, would you talk to me a little bit about how Mary was throughout all this? I knew that she was a seasoned teacher. Um, she's very confident. She knows what she's doing. And when we were on the bus, I mean, she stepped into her roles with so much ease. And she was quick and efficient with what she did, but also just very loving and sweet. You could tell that the kids uh, up front that knew her, I mean, I'm sure all of those kids knew you. They might've been in your class at one point, but um, they, they felt so safe. I mean, her two kiddos were, that were in her class at the time, at the time were right next to her. Uh, you can tell that it was a special bond that they had with their teacher. Um, but just the way that Mary interacted with all of the kids on the bus um, she brought a lot of light to the bus that day. She worked hard with, you know, collecting roll, but also making the kids laugh. She cracked a lot of jokes and that wasn't something that I felt was my strong suit. I, that was the last thing on my mind was trying to crack a joke. I couldn't think of one, but they came naturally for her. Uh, she was always looking for that silver lining throughout the day. And, um, I just, I felt like we could lean on each other a lot when we were having some hard times throughout that trip. And I just, I couldn't imagine a better 
the teacher <laughs> to be on the bus with. What kind of effect was the all the heat and all the smoke having on all, all the kids? I looked over at a couple of kids, and like I said, I saw them leaning forward on the seat, and I kind of tapped their shoulder, and I said, hey, you, are you okay? And they would tell me that they're just, I'm just tired, and I started thinking, there's so much smoke in this bus. There's smoke all around us. It's hot in here. These kids haven't had water for hours, and so I just quickly went up to the front of the bus and I told Kevin that kids were starting to fall asleep. I mean, he, it was like, he already had thought about it coming and he took his shirt off and then took his undershirt off and we all worked together to try and tear it up. I mean, I could, it was hard to tear that shirt up too. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I had a half a bottle of water in my purse and I just knew that we were going to be using that to dampen the, those little pieces of cloth. Um, to give the kids. So, you know, I did that and as quickly as I could. And, uh, and I think at that time too, we had another bottle of water. I had to get off the bus to go get more water. Yeah. So that helped out because I quickly ran out of water. There was a man, Kevin's like, oh, there's a guy out there who was trying to save his property with a hose. I took one of the empty water bottles off to get it refilled. And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm on a bus with 22 kids that we need water. And he ran into his house and he brought out a half flat, a half case of water about. But Abby and I were like, we've been trapped for so long. We were like, we can't give each, we don't have enough for everyone to get their own water bottles. So this, is a, this was one of the emotional parts for me is having to ration. And so what Abby and I did is um, she took the side, the door side of the bus, and I took the driver's side of the bus, and we had the kids tilt their heads back, and we squirted the water into down their throats for them. And we did the bus lurched low. We spilled on yeah. them and, <laughs> and their poor little lips were so dry. Yeah. You can, I mean, their faces were flushed from dehydration and their lips were totally chapped. I, all of them, even Kevin, um, tapped me and said, Mary, Mary, are you okay? And, and I, you know, we were just all very, very, um, lethargic, I think at yeah, that point. There was this, it went from a lot of chatter, you know, there were a lot of tears, there was giggles, like I said, with the kids. And then it went from that to what felt like complete silence at one point when we were on that stretch where we thought we were going to die. Uh, the kid, it was totally silent on the bus. And that was right around the time that each kid got a sip of water. There was so much smoke on the bus that I felt my energy drop and I had been pacing that aisle all day and I had to sit down and collect myself because I, I was feeling weak. I was feeling tired. Um, I was having a hard time breathing and I knew if I was feeling that way, those kids were too. And I remember thinking as I was sitting there that it was quiet on the bus. And that was that little snippet, of, like that little sliver of time where the hope kind of went out the door for a few minutes and we held hands and prayed. And, um, there were kids that asked to pray with us. And, um, because when you look out, cause Abby came up and sat with, said, Mary, look, look at the exit. How are we going to get out with the embers and the wind and just the massive trees that we were under? I know that I just kept, praying. We just kept praying that, sorry, that we would, if it had to be that we would die of smoke inhalation, not, we didn't want those children to suffer. I remember 
saying to Abby and she's saying to me, okay, Mary, don't cry. Okay. Don't cry. So my, my moment was a little bit like after her moment and her moment. And so we just kind of lifted each other up and then there's Kevin going, all right, girls, <laughs> got a job to do. Yeah. And so I think a lot, you know, just, it, it was just a tiny moment. Um, and then we just, you know, got back, you know, my analogy that I use is the mask slipped for just a minute. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Um, what was it like to see the kids reunited with their parents? I remember the first mom, I, it was just like, I, we were sobbing in each other's arms. I mean, she was just sobbing, you know, just so um, happy that her child was okay and that we were all okay. And, um, and then as everybody, every, every parent that came in, Kevin, Abby, me, and our principal, Ed, every parent, all four of us greeted them. So every single individual that came to pick up their child was greeted and we actually checked them out. <laughs> we just kept, kept doing our safety roles. Um, but it was, it was very emotional. Um, some of those were very emotional. How did the kids react in that moment? I remember one little boy who was really strong, and when he saw his daddy, um, he just ran and hugged his dad and started sobbing, and then the dad started crying, and then the dad hugged me, and then I started crying. <laughs> um, but it was a beautiful moment. So looking back, how, how have you been able to cope with this? incredibly overwhelming experience. You know, we're so grateful. There's the, the help from all over the world has been incredibly overwhelming. Um, there's no way we could ever thank every person that's helped because it's just been an influx of love and support. Um, and so we, we have everything that we need now. Um, but there's a lot of like psychological damage that you have to work to, through after something like this. What was it like to go back to school after having gone through this? School-wise, I mean, we have had so many people sponsor us and help us put classrooms together in two days and give us books and give the kids stuffed animals and really trying to make us feel special and they want to be there for us. I, I do keep in contact with all of the children in my class, um, even the ones that I, you know, haven't seen since the fire. Um, and I know that I have to say I was so impressed with those kids after the fire. Um, they they're just in a lot of ways, they're just still kids. So they still know how to have fun. Uh, they were able to process, I think some or a lot of what happened through play, which is so important. Um, and they bonded not just with each other, but with their teachers and the other adults, um, at the school. And I think that those kids are going to be okay. I mean, I, they're going to be stronger from all of this. And I think they already are. Is there any last thought that you'd want to share? Even though we physically lost our community. 
our emotional community and our spiritual community of paradise was stronger than ever. Kevin and Abby and I have a special bond. I mean, we were texting, I love you at Christmas time. And, <laughs> but I just, you know, I feel very grateful and thankful that you were on the bus with me that day and that Kevin was leading us. Um, but I'm just, I don't know. Life is a little bit different, but we've just been um, so deeply affected by the love and kindness of strangers, um, but also just the love and kindness of fellow community members who've also lost so much, but still want to do whatever they can. I feel very proud to be part of this community. And I feel very honored to be part of uh, rebuilding this community. It's important to me that paradise gets back on her feet. <laughs> I want to thank Mary and Abby for sharing their stories with us. I also want to take a moment to recognize the Red Cross team members from here in Greater New York, from across the country, who delivered relief and compassion following the campfire. In the wake of this tragedy, the American Red Cross sheltered thousands. We also provided warm meals, medical services, emotional and spiritual care, and reunification services for survivors. In recovery, the American Red Cross has provided over $23 million in direct financial assistance to survivors, as well as over $11 million to local nonprofit organizations working to assist in community recovery. Big thank you to everyone for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please share, like, subscribe, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, we really want to hear from you, our listeners. To learn more about the work of the Red Cross, visit redcross.org. This episode was produced by Craig Cooper and edited by Chi Kong Lu. Special thanks to Maria Sievers for her support as well.